So good morning. As you have already heard, our sermon series for four weeks is this topic of unusual joy uh, based on the book of Philippians. Uh, Pastor Bruce started us last week, and I have the second message in the series. A primary application for the series is related to mental and to emotional health, and more specifically, depression. And the question really is, can we find joy in the midst of emotional darkness? I have my moments, and even my days, when I flirt with darkness. Or should I say, I have times when darkness flirts with me. Not sure how to fully assess that. The darkness I have experienced, however, is marginal and even tame compared to what others have endured. For me, it might be more accurate to say that sometimes I just have the blues that I need to deal with. In contrast, I listened to an online message by a pastor, Tom Nelson, speaking at Dallas Theological Seminary on his nightmare experience with depression. In the midst of his depression, he largely lost his capacity for being productive and serving as a pastor. And at times, he would just curl up in a fetal position. Through medication, counseling, and a changed approach to life, he eventually found his way back to health. And when he got better and re-engaged in his ministry, he was flooded with people from within his own church and from within his community looking for his help and his input with respect to depression. He even mentioned three business leaders in his church who conveyed to him, independently of one another, of being so depressed that they too spent time, as he did, curled up in the fetal position, incapacitated by their depression. There are people, and maybe there are many people, who would understand well some of the biblical descriptors about despair and darkness. Psalm 88 is perhaps one of the darkest expressions in the Psalms about being down and in despair. Psalm 88 concludes with, Darkness is my closest friend. Psalm 42, people would understand. Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Or Lamentations 5.15, Joy is gone from my heart. There's none there. Or Job 9.25, My days fly away without a glimpse of joy. In other words, my day is full of darkness. So to the extent that I have brushed up against the emotional darkness, I wish to offer some personal thoughts, as suggested by Philippians chapter 2, all wrapped around the theme, I am helped by. And in sharing this in the first person, I bring this to you more as a testimony of what helps me rather than a prescriptive statement. So Philippians 2 is our text. We'll be looking at the first 16 verses. And the context of this is Paul, the apostle, is writing to the church in Philippi, is talking largely about community and how to live the Christian life. It's a letter in which he reflects much of his own joy in Jesus Christ. 
And what we will be identifying are some of the contributing pieces to his own joy. So let's step into the text, verse by verse. Verse 1. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion... This passage starts off with our relationship with Jesus Christ. If you have any encouragement from being united with the Lord Jesus Christ, if you have any comfort that you have derived from his love, if you have any common sharing in the spirit of Jesus Christ, if you have any sense of his tenderness and compassion, If you have any of that, then it gives you the foundation for the joy that Paul talks about. So my very first statement in terms of how I am helped in the midst of my blues, I am helped by anchoring my life, my emotions, my future in the Lord Jesus Christ. I know a Christian psychiatrist here in the city who has said that Christians suffer from depression as much as the rest of society here in the city of Saskatoon. However, there is a difference for us. Christians have the potential for an added capacity to cope with their darkness, to manage their depression. Why? Because we have this relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, we are never alone. And that relational, personal resource, that connection with Jesus Christ... If you find any encouragement in that being united with the Lord Jesus Christ gives us a foundation for coping with some of our blues or our depression. We have thoughts such as Romans chapter 8. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger, or sword? And then Paul goes on to answer that question by saying, nothing will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. We could also add to that, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall darkness, shall depression, shall despair separate us from the love of God? And as suggested by the text, the answer is no. There is a comfort in his love There is a tenderness and a compassion from Jesus Christ to us. On the matter of this tenderness and compassion, that last line or that last phrase within verse 1, I recall a time in my own life where I was working and dealing with the blues in my life during my seminary days, various reasons for why I was caught in the blues at that particular point in time. But in the midst of that, I came across a sermon by... Spurgeon. Uh, Spurgeon was a famous British preacher going back at least 100 years ago. But it was a sermon on Matthew chapter 12, verse 20. And I read that sermon, Matthew 12, 20. The text is, A bruised reed he will not break, and a smoldering wick he will not snuff out. Any single given reed might be deemed insignificant, but even more so a bruised reed. It's good for nothing. And yet the scriptures say of Jesus Christ and his love for us is that a bruised reed he will not break. 
but rather that his support and his tenderness and his love and compassion is there. I found a great deal of help from that picture that many years ago when I was a seminary student. I find much encouragement from being united with Jesus Christ as a foundational piece to finding joy in life. And that position of being united, of course, is eternal. It is everlasting. It is not just for a short period of time that we talk about this joy relationship with Christ, but we are among those who have an eternal timeline. And all that is there about Jesus Christ in verse 1 in relationship to us is there through eternity. Isn't it interesting that Jesus, after he sent the 72 disciples out and they were involved in ministry, and they came back to him, and the 72 returned with joy and said, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. And what did Jesus say to them? Jesus said, however, do not rejoice that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. How I deal with the blues that come my way or those experiences of the depression that I might have, I, a beginning point is I am helped by this relationship with Jesus Christ, which is critical, which is foundational, and which is really a key piece to the foundation to the joy that we're talking about here. Verse 2 goes on. Then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. What's Paul talking about here? Paul is beginning to talk about community. He's speaking about brothers and sisters in Christ who, who contribute to his joy. And if I were to shape a second statement in terms of what helps me in the midst of blues, I would say that I am helped by community. I am helped by my wife, Judy, my children, my grandchildren, my close friends, my small group, my church family, the, those that I know in the community of Saskatoon. You would know this as well. You would understand this, that the, the amount of evidence correlating the relationship between community and mental health is substantial, is extensive. We do better, much better emotionally, mentally, spiritually when anchored in community. But understandably, when depressed, it's hard to find the motivation to interact with people. And even more so when there is no family or there are no close friends. For some, it is hard just to get out of bed, let alone go out and meet other people. Which, of course, suggests the ministry for those who are strong, who are capable, who are emotionally up. The ministry is there to look for ways to invite others, even coax others, the downcast, into circles of community. You know, when I was listening to this online message by this Dallas pastor who was talking about his depression, he mentioned that the people deemed the happiest, that's the, the expression he used, the happiest, the most joyous people in America are the, I'll catch you by surprise, I didn't anticipate this, but the Amish. Uh, and I would think there are different reasons for that that would be really interesting to probe that and discern that and to look at that. But my guess is one factor in terms of why they are deemed among the most joyous people in the United States is simply their sense of community and living together, and working together in relationship to, with one another. On another note, I wonder if Jewish people who celebrate the Sabbath, or Shabbat as they say it, are among some of the most joyous and happiest people as well. Nothing like being witnessing or maybe being swept along by the joyous music and dancing of joyous Jewish people. And they're doing it in the sense of community interesting that the first time the word joy is used in the Bible, at least in my NIV translation, 
is Genesis 31, verse 27. The context is not that positive. It's Laban in relationship to Jacob. And he says, why did you run off secretly and deceive me? Why didn't you tell me so I could... And, and here's the reason that he, at least he gives. He says, so I could send you away with joy and singing to the music of timbrels and harps. Um, he wanted that to be a joyous time where they would celebrate together as a group of people. Jewish people seem to do it very well. Community is important. Being with those who are like-minded in faith, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind is important to my emotional health. It's interesting, in my Regina days, <clears throat> a man was a part of our church who suffered from ongoing depression. But he made a decision to attend and participate, I think it was three small groups per week, largely so that he could be around people. He was, was responding to this by recognizing that community was really important. And would also note this, that in his depression, he had lost the capacity largely to to pray. And he found it beneficial to be around others who could pray. And in a sense, they became his prayer proxy to God. It didn't take away his depression, but it helped him manage his darkness as he made, he was intentional about being with community. Verses 3 and 4. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. Uh, Statement number three, in terms of how I am helped, I am helped when I moved out of my own world, my own issues, my own problems, my own difficulties, and I move into the world of valuing others and thinking about other people. Now, there's a little statement that um, is really simple and is really trite, I shouldn't say it's trite. No, it's not trite. There's a lot of wisdom in it. But the statement is this. Ten rules for getting rid of the blues. Go out and do something for someone else. And then go and repeat it nine more times. And as you do that, you move from being focused on your own life into the life and life or lives of other people. And the example that is given to us, this passage that we're just going to read right away here about Jesus Christ, was given. Paul wasn't writing, wanting to make a Christological statement about who Jesus Christ is in this passage. He's talking about community and relationships. And then he thinks about Jesus Christ, and then he enters into this passage. And the point of this passage, first and foremost, in a sense, was to to say something about relationships. In your relationships, in verse 5, with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. We're to think the same way. Who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. So as the same we see demonstrated by Jesus Christ, the invitation is likewise to us to have the same mindset. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. 
having a mindset to shift from my own world and my problems and my difficulties and into the lives of other people. It's interesting. The book of Psalms has much to say about our emotions. It says much about uh, lament. It says much about joy. Um, But we would think that when we would look at the book of Psalms and the book of Proverbs, that Psalms would have far more to say about joy than the book of Proverbs. We think of Proverbs more as the practical wisdom. We wouldn't think of a party happening in relationship to the book of uh, Proverbs uh, uh, with, with, with the contents that's there. Yet it's interesting that the word joy appears almost as a frequently on a per page count in Proverbs as it does in the book of Psalms. Once every 1.6 pages in the Psalms, once every two pages in Proverbs. So Proverbs is not that far behind the Psalms as being a book about joy and great delight, but it's very practical. A couple of verses, very short ones that I would relate to you here, consistent with this overall thought that we're expressing here. Proverbs 12:20. Those who promote peace have joy. Generally, to be a promoter of peace, you've got to get out of your own world and you've got to go and engage in the lives of other people. And suddenly, as you engage in the lives of other people and you're promoting peace, there is a joy that comes to your world. Or Proverbs 21, verse 15, when justice is done, it brings joy to the righteous. Maybe I'm reading a little bit more in that line than is actually intended there, but when, when we leave our own worlds and our own issues and our own problems we engage in justice issues, there's a joy that comes and flows from that. So I'm helped when I move out of my world into the world of valuing and thinking of others. Verses 12 and 13. Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. So the invitation here is to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. But it is followed by this. For it is God who works in you to not only act, but also to will. To will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. My I am helped by statement is simply this. I am helped by remembering that God is working at work in my life and the world around me. I am helped by remembering Romans chapter 28, or at least trying to remember Romans 28. And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. The biblical truth that is revealed through scripture is that God is sovereignly involved in all things. I saw the title of a blog post here not long ago. It's from John Newfeld, the former pastor at Willingdon MB Church in, Bin- in, the, in Burnaby, B.C. But he's a blog page that, uh, that is entitled Meticulously Sovereign. It reinforces the thought that God is working in me, that God is working in you to, to will and to act. Uh, those of you part of the Forest Grove family, you know that I... Basically, at the turn of the calendar year from Christmas to New Year, I generally read the book of Revelation and I take a commentary and work through that commentary at the same time. And uh, it's one of the most delightful experiences that I'm engaged in through the course of a year in terms of my connection with Scripture. It's a reminder that God is on his throne. It's a reminder that he is sovereign. 
It's a reminder that he is working in me to will and to act according to his purpose. And in a sense, if I were to look at the span of 12 months through the course of a year, and when might it be that I am the most joyous because of my interaction with my faith, it may well be because of that interaction with Revelation at the early part of the year as I'm reminded that God is on his throne. He is working in us to will and to act according to his good purpose. I am helped in remembering that God is at work in me and our world. Verses 14 and 15. Do everything without grumbling or arguing, so that you may become blameless and pure, children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. So the text says, do everything without grumbling or complaining. In other words, I'm invited to be thankful. And so my I am helped statement is simply, I am helped by exercising a spirit of thankfulness ongoing. I have mentioned this before, and some of you practice this as well, or something similar to it, but in my quiet time and with my journal, I, every morning I write out and I say, God, I am thankful for, and I identify three different things that I am thankful for, and that becomes a discipline. It becomes a way of thinking. It becomes, it begins to, it's central in my life that I want to be a spirit of thankfulness rather than one of grumbling or obviously arguing here. And oftentimes it can be very down to earth. So a recent entry that I, simp- I put in was, God, I am thankful for a relatively good night of sleep, time with our kids, and then our clean house. And I, I, I don't know why I said our clean house, but maybe because the kids were there maybe the day before. It was messy, and maybe we cleaned it up afterwards. I don't know. But, but, but the studies that, and the stories linking intergenerational grat- or intentional gratitude and emotional health are many. They are extensive out there. And I'm helped by exercising that spirit of thankfulness. And then the final one in verse 16 that I've identif- identified. <coughs> Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. And the word of life, I'm going to read into that as including the scriptures, the written word of God. And so number six, I am helped by memorizing and meditating on the word of God. It's cognitive therapy at its best, at least it is for me. A few years ago, in a sermon from this very setting here, I profiled a book entitled Feeling Good, written by Dr. David Burns, a psychiatrist suggesting that if we change our ways of thinking, we can change how we feel about life. And the sermon invited consideration for the memorization and meditation of God's Word as perhaps some of the best cognitive therapy that we can engage in. So when I think about some of the passages of Scripture, such as, well, we'll identify Romans chapter 8. We've mentioned it already. But there is something therapeutic. There is something spirit of lifting about stepping into the thoughts of Romans chapter 8 and having those thoughts shape your mind. I've said to you before that Martin Luther said that every believer in Christ should memorize Romans chapter 8 and have those thoughts flowing through your mind becomes cognitive therapy at its best, those phenomenal thoughts. It makes a difference. The Spirit of God takes those words, and when we consider some of these words such as, what then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? 
He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us, how will he not graciously with him freely give us all things? So if you have that thought flowing through your mind, it becomes therapy to the spirit, to the soul. Or those final few lines in in Romans chapter 8, No, in all these things we are more than conquerors. An amazing thought. Scripture speaking to us and saying that we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I'm convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. You know what? You can, we cannot put a value on that thought. That is a priceless thought. And to have that thought flowing through one's mind brings an uplift to one's spirit and one's soul. So I'm helped by memorizing, meditating, reflecting on the Word of God. So six points that I'm helped by. Anchoring my life in Christ by community, valuing others, remembering the sovereign work of God, being intentional about the giving of thanks, and memorizing and or meditating on the Word. Now, I do have to admit that coming up with only six points was somewhat distressing for me. Seven is my favorite number. It is the number of completion from the book of Revelation. So to end up with six was unsettling. But I'm getting over it. <laughs> Two final thoughts, Proverbs 10:28. The prospect of the righteous is joy. May the Lord bless us with joy, with unusual joy, even in the midst of emotional darkness. And the benediction that we will pronounce at the end, but I will share right here, right now. Uh, May the God of hope fill us with all joy and peace as we trust in him so that we may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen.